In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints, Deuteronomy 32.39, the Lord says, See now that I, even I, am He, and there is no God beside me. I kill, and I make alive. I wound, and I heal. There is none that can deliver out of my hand. That's the way it is with God. The way He works towards us. He does His twofold work towards all mankind. He kills and He makes alive. He wounds and He heals. He comes with judgment and He comes with mercy. He terrifies and He comforts. That's law and gospel. God comes to us and shows us our sin, judging our sins, terrifying us over our sin. And then He comes forgiving our sins, washing away our sins, dying for our sins, that we might be His own dear children. Now, these two works of God are not in any way equal works. In fact, the Bible calls this killing work of God, this judging work of God, His coming in terror with His law, it calls it, calls it His strange work. Here's how Isaiah preaches about it. This is a sermon that Isaiah preaches in chapter 28, but here's verses 21 and 22. For the Lord will raise us as on Mount Perizim, as in the valley of Gibeon, He will be roused to do His deed. Strange is His deed. And to work His work, alien is His work. Now therefore do not scoff, lest your bonds be made strong, for I have heard a decree of destruction from the Lord God of hosts against the whole land. The old Lutheran theologians called this the opus alien of God. The alien work. The strange work. The work that is not essential to His nature. The work of judgment. Now this is particularly important for the preaching of the Gospel. Because the Gospel, the good news of the forgiveness of all of our sins, is the point. And the law is to get us there. God comes condemning us and showing us our sin so that we would know our need for a Savior. And so that we would look to Him for comfort and peace. The first Lutherans loved to talk about this. This is, a, I have here a quote from Philip Melanchthon explaining this whole thing from the Augsburg Confession. He, he, he peppers the explanation with scriptures. Here it is. 1 Samuel 2.6 The Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and brings up. By one of these, namely killing, contrition or sorrow over sin is meant. And by the other, raising up, faith is what's meant. Isaiah 28.21 The Lord shall be wrath that He may do His work, His strange work, and bring to pass His alien act. Melanchthon says, He calls it the strange work of the Lord when He terrifies because to give life and to comfort is God's own work. He terrifies, it says, for this reason, that there may be a place for consolation and giving life. Because when hearts are secure and don't feel the wrath of God, they have no desire for comfort. So the Scriptures always join these two together, terror and comfort, in order to teach that in repentance there are these two chief parts, sorrow and faith, that comforts and justifies. 
The two chief works of God and men are these, to terrify and to justify and give life to those who have been terrified. Into, into these two works, all of Scripture has been divided. The one part is the law, which shows, reproves, and condemns sin. But the other part is the gospel, the promise of grace bestowed on Christ. And this promise is constantly repeated in the whole of the Scriptures. So it is that the law, the strange work of God, to terrify us and to show us our sin, is a preparation for the gospel. So that terror makes the way for comfort. But here's the trouble in all of this. And I think this is a, a very, very dangerous piece of theology that just clings to our flesh. We think that the law, that terrifying and judging and condemning, we think that that is the essential work of God and that the gospel is his alien and strange work. But we've got it backwards. Now, I'm not talking in this case about those who care nothing about God or religion or spiritual things. Most people living their life think simply that God is a nice guy and they're not troubled with sin and neither is God. That's what most people think. But when the law comes to us, and we begin to have some sort of sensibility to our own sin, when we begin to understand that we're sinners, in fact, that we are poor, miserable sinners, and our conscience stands there condemning us, and the Ten Commandments are screaming our guilt in our face, or when we are facing the terrors of death at the end of our lives, then we are tempted to think that the essential work of God is judgment. Remember how it was with Adam and Eve in the garden. Here comes God walking, and what do they do? They hide themselves with fig leaves, and then they run for cover, trying to hide from God, hoping that God wouldn't find them. Why? Because they thought that God was a God of wrath and punishment. And as for you who are left, I will send faintness into their hearts in the land of their enemies. That's how the Lord describes this terror, the terror of the law over our sin in Leviticus. Listen to this. The sound of a rustling leaf will put them to flight and they'll run as if one is fleeing from the sword and they'll fall even though no one is chasing them. Leviticus 26. The rustling of a leaf terrifies you, sends you into a panic, running from the face of God. This is all because we think that God is after me. If we have the law without the gospel, that's what we think. Now, I don't know how this is in each one of your hearts. This, I suspect, sounds a little bit differently to each one of you. I'll tell you how it works in my own mind. Something goes wrong, and it doesn't even have to be a big thing. The, the, the check engine light comes on in the car. Or I stub my toe on a Lego box. Or someone's upset about something I said at church. You know, a small thing like this. And you know what I automatically think? God is punishing me for my sin. What did I do wrong? You, you, you see, there's something about our flesh that can only think that God is mad at us. That everything that happens in this life is punishment. There's a danger here. And it's in thinking that the law is not the strange work of God, but that the gospel is. That the, Lord, that the Lord our God is a God of punishment and a God of anger and a God of wrath. No. 
The gospel is God's essential work. The gospel is His delight, is His joy. Jesus wants to deal kindly with us. He desires to be gentle to us, to deal with us mercifully. God wants to forgive our sins. We think that He wants to judge us and kill us and condemn us, but that is a different God. A loving father will discipline his children, but that's quite a different thing than a father who delights in punishment, who wants to hurt his children. We know that, but somehow our flesh always flips this around It changes the channel back to the law channel every time. It's the only language our sinful flesh understands. We think that God comes to judge and condemn and punish. But it's wrong. Now, all of this was a preface to get us to John the Baptist in prison. (laughs) Our Gospel text from Matthew chapter 11. John has done his courageous prophetic work He's called all the people of Israel to repentance. He's baptized for the forgiveness of sins in the Jordan River. He's making, he's made a straight way for Jesus to come. He even, in his courage, preached against Herod and told him that he shouldn't be married to his sister-in-law. And for this, he's in prison. And now the trouble comes. It's days before his martyrdom, days before his head is chopped off by Herod. And John the Baptist begins to get terrors of his own conscience, troubles, doubts, and fears. John, after all, had preached a sermon of fiery repentance, but Jesus has come in meekness. Jesus has come lowly. Jesus has come in gentleness, not with judgment, but with mercy, not in strength, But in humility, Jesus had not mustered an army of soldiers to overthrow the Romans, but rather gathered a band of misfit disciples. And John in prison is troubled. Are you the one, he says to Jesus, or do you wait for another? Is this, says John, what God in the flesh is really like? Is this who God really is, this Jesus? Where is the brimstone? Where is the wrath? Where is the punishment for sin? Where is the judgment, John is asking? So Jesus sends John's disciples back to John to comfort him in prison. Go and tell John what you hear and what you see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Blessed is the one not offended by me. Blessed indeed. Because this Jesus, dear saints, this is who God really is. He really is kind and merciful and humble and loving. He really is patient and long-suffering and abounding in mercy and love. He really is willing to suffer all, even shame and the ridicule of death on the cross and the abundance of God's own wrath over sin. He is willing to suffer all of that for you. This is who God really is. I, I play a little game with the confirmands and with the youth. Uh, I might have told this to you before. I can't remember. I, I do this almost the first confirmation class. I say, what's the uh, three words to describe God? Write them down. You have three words. Describe God. And answers are generally something like this. 
uh, holy and loving and powerful. Good and righteous and strong. Uh, adjectives mostly all the time. Some of them are gospel-y, like loving and merciful. Most line up well with the law. Powerful, strong, mighty. Some are in the middle. They could go both ways, law and gospel. God is good and holy and righteous. But if you want to know who God is, if you want to know His essential character, if you want to know what the heart of God is like, then we have these three words best to describe Him. Are you ready? Jesus, Christ, crucified. Jesus, Christ, crucified. Our flesh wants God to be a God of judgment, a God of wrath, a God of anger. But no, the true God is a God of kindness and mercy. So that if you have any question, any question at all, that the Lord loves you, that He forgives you all of your sins, that when you finally on the last day see His face, that it will be a scowl instead of a smile. If you have any question, remember this, the Son of God was nailed to a cross for you. He suffered God's wrath for you. He gave up everything for you. And this mercy and this kindness and this love is not God's strange work. It is who He is. Now and forever. And in the middle of all of our sin, in the midst of all of our temptation and trouble, this is our comfort and peace. Who God really is. Not the God of wrath. Not the God of judgment. Not the God who terrifies us because of our sins. But the God who forgives us and loves us and dies for us and calls us His own dear children. Jesus Christ crucified. That was the comfort that Jesus gave to John in prison. And it's the comfort that He gives to us. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.